Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History Today is August 21st, and on this day in history, in 1831, Nat Turner leads black slaves and freed blacks in a rebellion. On this day in 1863, Lawrence, Kansas was destroyed by Confederate guerrillas in the Lawrence Massacre. Fun fact, Lawrence, Kansas is actually where the University of Kansas is located. Thank God that massacre didn't occur today. I would have lost a lot of friends and a killer basketball team. Also, on this day in history, in 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen by a Louvre employee. Now, for those of you who don't know, that is the name of the museum where the original painting is kept. On this day in 1936, speaking of Lawrence, Kansas and basketball, Wilt Chamberlain was born on this day in 1936. An all-star American basketball player, Wilt played for Kansas University throughout his college years. Also on this day, in 1938, Kenny Rogers was born. Also on this day in 1959, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed an executive order making Hawaii the 50th American state. (laughs) On this day in 1993, NASA loses contact with the Mars Observer spacecraft, and we've never observed Mars ever since. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I just made that up. And lastly, in 2010, on this day in history, the Bloomington Buzz aired for the last time. No, please no. I'm afraid so. Well, that'll do it for today's This Day in History. Stay tuned to the final episode of The Buzz. We have a lot more fun planned. You're listening to 99.1 FM WIUX Pure Student Radio from Indiana University. Don't be confused. Don't change the dial. That was the throwback version of This Day in History. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I just happened to come across that as I was putting the show together tonight, and it just made my heart grow three sizes and exposed the fact that I've been doing some of the same bits for almost, what, when did I graduate? Almost seven years. Yeah, but that's a little insight into my start in radio. I got started at Indiana University on WIUX. I had a show from 6 to 8 a.m., and I was stupid enough to think, well, please, at 6 o'clock in the morning, nobody's awake, no one's going to be listening, not realizing that at 6 in the morning on an FM radio station, people are in their cars, they're going to work, a lot of people are listening. But it's a good thing I didn't think anyone was because it lost all inhibitions, and I just had a great time, and I don't think you care, so I'm going to drop this now. But don't be confused, that was a throwback version of This Day in History. All right, let's move on. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No, but it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second, testing, one, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho... It's been a week. It's been a busy week. It's been a crazy week. I feel like I say that every week because I feel like that's true every week. Before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear an item you would like to discuss or feel there's a tidbit that you could contribute to the show, by all means, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9RFB. 
888-900-9732. Or if you don't want to be heard on the air because you're a little bashful, no problem, you can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall, you can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, If you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. And the last thing I'll tell you before we get on to the important cool stuff is that all episodes of The Next Best Thing are now available on iTunes as podcasts. Holy crap, that is huge news. It actually happened weeks ago, but every time I say it, I just get a little excited because it's huge. If you ever miss an episode of The Next Best Thing, which, come on, let's be honest, you miss most of them, uh, you can go to the iTunes store or check the podcast app on your iPhone. Just type in The Next Best Thing, click on our logo, which I trust you know, and there you will find literally all of the past episodes. You'll see the title so you can pick and choose which ones pique your interest or which ones just simply sound the most bearable. Listen to those, and if you have a few minutes... Rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell an enemy. Do whatever you got to do to spread the word because the word of mouth is how we grow. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. Today was all about the total solar eclipse. I don't understand why, and I'll explain my reasoning. I live in New York City, and apparently, and I didn't know this, but apparently this was designated a non-high-coverage area. I wouldn't have really known what that meant had someone told me, but no one did tell me. And so I actually, I went the whole nine yards, folks. I went all out. I took off work because I was made to think that this was going to be like a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. You got to make sure you're out there, you're ready, you're a part of it. So I did. I took off work. I even put on my space cadet glasses. I was standing along the East River. I went out there around 2.15 because I was very well aware that 2.40 is when the real peak of the eclipse is going to happen here in New York City. So I'm out there. I'm wearing my space cadet glasses. I feel like a complete fool. And I'm trying to get some work done. I'm trying to just kind of not look at other people. Even though other people are wearing the same space cadet stuff, I feel so ridiculous that I just try and pretend it's not happening. So I'm out there and the clock is ticking. I send my sister a text who's in the Midwest. She's in Kansas City and they were supposed to experience it around, I don't know, an hour before we were. So I text them and I'm like, hey, did you see the eclipse? And was it worth standing out here looking ridiculous to see it? And they respond, they're like, "Uh, not really, it's pretty cloudy here, uh, but kind of, you know, lukewarm at best. So I'm sitting there, I'm watching the clock go by, 2.40 comes and goes, I don't notice anything. My sister texts me at 2.53, 13 minutes after the supposed peak, and says, how was it there? And I say, well, I'm not sure, it hasn't happened yet. It was supposed to happen at 2.40. Then around 2.59, I, res- I send her another text. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Did it already happen? And it must have. People, I was sitting there with the glasses on. I didn't notice anything. I didn't notice anything. Oh, my gosh. Does that suck? I don't understand this. Um, 
I understand we weren't in a high coverage area, but I thought we would see something. They piped this up like it was going to be a once in a lifetime event. It was on all the news networks as if it was the Super Bowl. Nothing. I didn't notice anything. So that was great. But I hope you did. I actually, I posted some cynical thing on my Facebook being like, that was it. That's what the hype was about. Eclipse fail. And I got, a, actually, I got a bunch of comments that were like, what do you mean? It was life changing. I'm on the West Coast and it was the most glorious thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And I thought, that's sad. That's sad for you. But I also thought, well, apparently we really are on the wrong coast for it. But nevertheless, nevertheless, today uh, was a total solar eclipse. Did you see it? Did you care? Today's was the first in a century to cross the continental United States, coast to coast, and the first since the Republic's foundation to pass directly over our country and our country alone. So we have that. We don't have a lot. We don't have a lot. And there's certainly not a lot that we can all agree on and enjoy together lately. But in some areas of the country, it must have been. I'm told it must have been, and it was. So I hope you enjoyed it more than I did. I did. Not to be cynical, I would have, I, you know what, I can picture it in my mind. I can see that moon going in front of the sun, and it would have been glorious. Moving right along. You know, uh, I played that throwback of this day in history, because today there's a lot of throwback elements of this, this episode of The Next Best Thing. We have a very special guest coming on tonight. Do you remember The Little Rascals, that 1994 blockbuster hit? Well, tonight we have one of the stars of that film, Zach Mabry, coming on the show. He's Zach, what really interested me about Zach's story is that he was in that movie. He, he played Porky. You remember Porky and Buckwheat? They were a duo that really kind of stole that movie. I mean, they were, they were great in that film. And then he was able to go back to his home in Oklahoma, grow up, go to college, and become remarkably well-adjusted. Well-adjusted, successful, normal. He's, he's got a great, normal, successful life going on. And that, let's be honest, as rare as it is to be in a blockbuster film at any age, it's even rarer to go, be a part of a successful blockbuster film, do a great job in it, then casually go back to normal life, be well-adjusted, totally grow up normally, and be successful without any hitches. And Zach managed to do it, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that and, of course, about his experience making the movie. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we'll be right back. Time for some fun facts. Did you know that they actually have square watermelons in Japan because they stack better? Now, when I first heard that fun fact, I immediately thought, what? Now, because watermelons grow. How, for, how could they grow into squares? I just didn't think that was, that was logical. But I looked into it. I did some research of my own, and indeed, it is true. In Japan, the farmers of the Zensuji region developed the process of growing the fruits in glass boxes and letting them naturally assume the shape of the receptacle. The square shape, as mentioned earlier, does make the watermelons easier to stack, which in my mind would be a benefit for the store, but because they're easier to stack, those square watermelons cost more than double the price of normal watermelons. Again, what? Did you know that fortune cookies, things that are associated with Chinese restaurants, were actually invented here in America in 1918 by a guy named Charles Jung? Did you know that a giraffe can clean its ears with its 21-inch tongue? A 21-inch tongue. Wow. I know that if I had a 21-inch tongue, my first thought would be, thank God I can clean my ears. Probably all bullcrap. All right. Well, that just about does it for now. Fun, 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 fun facts. Fun, 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 fun facts.
So, like I said, tonight's episode of The Next Best Thing is full of fun throwbacks and nostalgia. And we like to play movie music often on the show, and this is no different. If you recognize this classic, it's because it comes from the 1990s hit children's movie, The Little Rascals. The 90s was a great period for children's movies. You had Dennis the Menace, you had all of the various Olsen Twins movies, including this one, The Little Rascals, which included a lot of really memorable scenes. Uh, Let's think of a few, shall we? Okay, that might be one of my favorite scenes in any movie of all time. I'll tell you my pickle for a nickel. All right. Well, we all know him as Porky from the 1994 film version of The Little Rascals, but after his brief stint in Hollywood, Zach Mabry returned home to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he grew up, went on to study accounting at the University of Oklahoma, got his master's degree, and is now a senior accountant for American Airlines and runs a startup CPA firm that specializes in advising millennials on all things tax-related. Something I can tell you firsthand is very important, and I'm sure all millennials could very much make use of. Get in touch with him today. Zach joins us now. Zach, thanks so much for staying up and being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Happy to be here. Of course. Now listen, so it says you grew up in Tulsa, but were you, it says you were actually born in Plano, Texas. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Uh, born in Plano. I ask because, how, well, how long did you live there before moving to Oklahoma? Uh, just a year. So I had just turned um, one when my parents decided to move up. So I don't really have any memories of uh, Plano or growing up there or anything. So okay. I lived in Oklahoma from age one. So. My theory just fell completely flat. I thought, because the reason I asked is because uh, in doing some prep for this, I noticed a number of the kids in the movie were born in Texas. I think um, Travis Tedford, Bug Hall, they played Spanky and Alfalfa. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if maybe there was like some kind of casting call in Texas or something. But Well, actually, no, that, your theory's right. So oh. the audition was in Dallas. And it was kind of an open casting call where, you know, just anybody could walk in off the street. Um, otherwise, I would not have been able to do the audition. Um, but, yes, it was in Dallas, and we saw it on TV. My grandma saw it on TV, uh, told my parents about it, and they wanted to visit old friends, come back to Dallas. And so it was really more of, you know, let's go to Dallas and do something fun. I don't think they thought I would have gotten the part, or we probably wouldn't have even gone. But uh, <laughs> since it worked out, you know. Of course, we did it. That see, okay, now that right there is unusual because typically, I mean, think about this nowadays. If there was a any film made, whether it involved kids or not, you don't typically see on television a casting call for a Hollywood movie, right? Right. I've never seen one myself, so I'm always like, "What was uh, what was Nanny watching, Mom, when she when she saw this?" But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've always thought that part was weird. Well, okay, so you went to the casting call. Do you remember what they made you do? I mean, you were like three. Um, or were you three? So, uh, I was three. Okay. Um, actually, we, as we go through the whole process, they're like, oh, he's three. We actually only wanted people who are four and up. Hmm. And it was like, well, we just waited in line, you know, forever. Uh, you know, can, can he just do it anyway? And they were like, whatever, let him in. You know, we're not taking somebody under four. They have to be able to, you know, speak clearly and stuff. <laughs> so uh, that part was weird. But actually what's funny is n- nobody knows what happened in the audition because... I don't remember it. And when I came out, my parents were like, so how'd it go? And I was like, fine. I'm like, what'd you do? I was like, uh, stuff. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have anything to tell them when I came out of the audition. And so that's like lost in history, except for the part, which is, it's actually in like the bonus section of the DVD. And uh, every now and then it pops up in stories that um, they kind of ushered us all into this area. And I was supposed to, we were all supposed to be quiet. And I just kind of jumped up and started singing. 
uh, songs from the movie Mary Poppins, which I we had just been watching. Um, wow! I, I guess that's part of how they noticed me was that I couldn't stay quiet. What a showman! Well, right, yeah, so, mostly just annoying. But well, is it just because? You know, okay, back to if this happened today, I feel like they would have the audition, then maybe another round of auditions, then a third round, then a callback, and then another. It's like were you just? I know I know you don't remember the process much, but. Do you remember if it was like you went that one time and then you got the part? Um, no. So, yeah, there were the multiple rounds of auditions. Um, the part that was the craziest is, you know, they, they started with like half a million people who tried out, half a million kids. And they whittled it down to having like 12 of each part. Really? And yes, like they kind of narrowed it down uh, through the audition. And then on this one big sort of final part, they brought in... It was like, you know, they wanted to see me with all 12 of the buckwheats. And they wanted to see buckwheat, every buckwheat, with all 12 of the porkies. And um, that piece was like the longest day um, imaginable. I don't remember most of it, of course. I do remember being in kind of a makeshift clubhouse and being very tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, random things will stick out. But my, uh, my mom has told me that I was like, hey, I don't want to, I want to go home now. Yeah. And we were like 90% through the day. She's saying, hey, why don't we just finish the day and then see if we get the part, but you've been here for a very long time. We'd hate to throw that away. Yeah, you well, know, I can... Like, maybe yeah. it was good that you were so young and don't remember it because, I, I mean, stuff like that nowadays, I don't know if I would have lasted. I would have been like, look, I, this has been great. I'm out of here. Um, and you yeah. couldn't have... You well, were, imagine being the casting people have to watch all of that. Very, yeah, good point, good point. Well, okay, so you were the youngest cast member of everyone. You actually turned four during the filming. Yes. Now, I've been told, I've been told that I have a pretty good memory, and I can remember very random, brief flashes of life as a four-year-old, but that's it. Now, obviously, making a blockbuster film is pretty monumental. Do you remember the whole filming experience very well? Um, I remember parts of it. And I think the reason for that is that we've never stopped talking about it. So the stories are told over and over again. And, you know, sometimes I do wonder, do I remember the event or have have we just talked about it so much that it's in my memory, you know, that way? Right. And most of it's on film. Even the outtakes and whatnot or photos and stuff. So that helps. Yeah, there's the outtake. But I even remember when they put out the longer version, I didn't remember some of the scenes that were in that edition like the extended edition that came out mm-hmm. i was like when did that's not part of it. what's that so oh really that's um, funny well okay obviously in the film porky and buckwheat who was played by ross elliott bagley are best friends mm-hmm. the characters are best friends um was there anyone in particular in the cast who in real life you felt particularly close to we were very good friends with travis tedford um him and his mom were out there and, and that's spanky we would go see them after the fact yes yeah, sorry he played spanky so we stayed in touch with them, his mom, Paula. Uh, our moms were, were friends, and they you know, kept up with each other for a while afterwards because we'd see them in L.A. even years later when I would go back to do auditions and film commercials. And Travis had a pretty awesome acting career throughout. You know, he, did the, he had the big like Welch's right. grape juice spokesperson gig and then um, was like a recurring extra on The Amanda Show and did a few other movies too. And so he was acting all throughout, and we would go see them and uh, spend time with them. But we, we did all kind of lose touch pretty quickly because you know, back then when you were four, you didn't right. have a smartphone yet. <laughs> right. No one had them now. Yeah. Um, right. No one had them. So that's interesting, though. Um, now, you were talking about the casting people. I work with young kids sometimes here in the city, and I, I've directed a few stage productions. I, I can't imagine combining the two. I mean, just because of attention spans and attention spans the director penelope spheris yes she must have been she must have had the the patience of a saint she really did and i i don't think she had worked with kids quite a bit before that and so you know just to step into that role i think was pretty challenging because not only the attention span but you know in california they have you know laws protecting children from you know being exploited and so you know we could only work four hours a day four Right. Wow. So whenever you forgot your lines and it had to be reshot, you know, it's not like you could, you didn't have the full day. So they had to be very organized. And then, you know, we had to definitely know our parts. And, you know, they, they worked with the parents to make sure they were 
because most of us also couldn't read, so we couldn't read the script and memorize it off that. They had to, you know, talk to us. They had to say the lines, and we'd say them back. So, you know, it's pretty... I don't know how they did it, because we shot it in about four months, which I think is crazy, considering, yeah, everyone could only do four hours. Those are the, you know, the rules in place. Well, this is to say nothing of the kids that I work with, but I... uh I specifically remember a recent time where I was, there was a four-year-old and I was going over the three rules of the day and they were stuff like, be nice, don't hit, and I don't know, wait your turn or something. And I would literally say like, those are the three rules, be nice, don't hit, wait your turn. What are the three rules? They couldn't remember. I mean, like, so... I mean, those are pretty rough. I mean, those are pretty <laughs> intense rules, though. Let's be real. Like, well, got to be more reasonable than don't hit. But Don't hit. Well, hey, look, none of them were more than three words, is my point. So you, as a four-year-old, must have been pretty disciplined, or your mom must have been pretty disciplined to really crack down and get those lines learned. Well, no, they're, no dis- they're, they just cut out the parts where we're not disciplined. But uh, <laughs> the, the memory thing, that, that part was crazy. I wish I still had the memory that I had back then, but I would we would do the lines a couple times and I would have them so memorized. And when you're, you know, four, you don't really understand, um, paraphrasing perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so whenever somebody, like if they were supposed to say, look over there, but they said, look there or something, you know, I can't think of a specific, but anytime something like that would happen, I would yell cut because it it wasn't what I remembered. (laughs) Wow. That's hilarious. So like they had to pull my mom aside and like, Miss Mabry, if, if Zachary calls cut again, He's we're going to have to right. Like we're going to have to look at to bringing in one of the eleven other porkies that you know we've tested. <laughs> so that was probably an uh, idle threat. Well, yeah. I mean, they're not going to go back and reshoot all of that. But we you know, we didn't necessarily know that. And the, the funny flip side is that so after talking to me about it, just a few days later was the big earthquake that happened in '94. It was like a 6.8 magnitude, and uh, you know crazy thing and we were from oklahoma so we had no experience of that we were you know tornadoes totally Mm -hmm. but earthquakes crazy and so as soon as that happened my mom was like i want to go home i want to leave so she's like call cut whenever you want just do it every time let's get (laughs) let's get out of this get fired so wow that's hilarious yeah Um, i mean of course she was kidding but that was the only was she kidding maybe a little bit but okay i think by then actually they did we all did want to go home for a while because it was crazy and we didn't know what that was like so well yeah i mean like honestly filming for you know for anyone listening that you know inside baseball filming anything whether it's a 30 second commercial or a feature film is really tedious i mean for anybody for an adult for a teenager and certainly for like a four-year-old i can't i mean right like you do the whole scene perfect but it's an outdoor scene and a plane flew over right and they're like yeah we don't know we could try to move yeah it a lot of things can happen and um, there is one scene I remember just taking forever, and I, I just remember being so Fed up. ready to be done with that scene. Yeah. Which one was it? So it's the, um, after we delivered the love note, which, you know, that was a disaster, of course, if you know the story. He had written out the actual love note. Neither of us could read in the story, so we had to, you know, so we told us as a hate note, we did that, blah, blah, blah. So we come back to basically say it was, as a, uh, was a disaster, and he kind of freaks out and then we just kind of start laughing and the scene ends. And that scene with like the fake laughter and everything, um, took a long time. And the way that I kind of reacted is this like delayed laugh followed by just like screaming out and falling down on the car was literally like me being so wanting to be done with that scene. So it's funny. The things I do remember were like the types of things, you know, like the most like wanting to be done. Yeah possible was like that day and then all the fun days and all these stories about you know playing with you know all the kids and we get our costumes dirty and stuff i don't necessarily remember a lot of that so but that scene definitely remember i've read that uh before filming each day the director would hug each one of you to ensure closeness and trust in the group is that is that true do you remember that i don't remember that that could be made up (laughs) i well i was the youngest i could probably uh i could find out if that was true or not but i don't I don't remember that. It wouldn't surprise me. They were really supportive of all the kids. And I mean, as much as it must have been frustrating for them to have to wait on us, I never. I always remember them being very, you know, kind. And that was the kind of stuff you'd see. So now there were some big names in that movie. I mean, big movie stars and big names who appear in this film. Some, you know, a few people remember, like Whoopi Goldberg as Buckwheat's mom, Mel mm-hmm. Brooks as the mean bank teller, Reba McIntyre as the race car driver, but 
there are a few that people tend to forget about. For example, the Olsen twins. Now, the Olsen twins were huge in 1994, but they mm -hmm. they appear very briefly in that slumber party scene, so they're easy to miss, which is, you know, interesting. I mean, like, why weren't, why weren't they a bigger part? They were big stars. Well, they were, I mean, they were a cameo. So they were on the set one day, did that part, and were out. I mean, they, so by then, they were already so big that, that their characters were only there to be a cameo the same way all those other big names were. Oh, it so they were... The oh. idea wasn't that they were characters. I mean, they were they were cameos the way that, you know, Whoopi Goldberg so was. They, oh, the wow. See, I didn't even think think of that. See, I just thought they were, like, cast as kids in the slumber party. But they were actually meant to be like, oh, they're the Olsen twins. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes total sense. Another big name who's in this film and that everyone seems to forget about, I also forgot about, is... Donald Trump. Donald Trump is yeah. in this movie. Yes, the whole world, as far as I've seen on Twitter, is remembering over the last few months that uh, Donald Trump was in The Little Rascals and played um, Waldo's dad, the rich kid. Right. Uh, so he makes this cameo towards the end of the movie. And in case anyone forgot, let's listen to it. Race. Waldo, you're the best son money can buy. Thanks, Dad. Now, what's funny about that, <laughs> among other things, is people are always talking about and kind of parodying, para, parodying uh, his cameo in Home Alone 2, but mm -hmm. he actually has more lines, kind of a more funnier and easier to parody line, and kind of a close, more clear shot in this movie. You'd think people would be making a heyday out of this. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, the, the Home Alone cameo is, I mean, it's funny, and, you know, the, the meme is like, oh, he, you know, he sent this kid, you know, without telling any parents or whatever. But, you know, in Little Rascals, they were playing on who he was. You know, the, they picked him to be the rich kid's dad and, you know, gave him that line. So I, it is kind of a funny... Well, yeah, and uh, to think, like, you're the best son money can buy, which is, you know, pretty fitting. I'd imagine if Don Jr. heard that. You know, that's so sad. But, but uh, Well, hello, we could take that out of context and be like, yep, I mean, it would not be that surprising if people were like, I was playing clips of Trump earlier. If I had thrown that and been like, can you believe he said that about Eric? I don't think people <laughs> would be that... Th I think people would believe it. But I, so did you have any, okay, so with all these big names, Whoopi, from Whoopi to Donald to Mel, did you have any direct contact or interaction with them, or do you remember? Yeah, um, so there were actually two of them that we did meet, and it's funny, so one of them was Reba. Well, we met all of them. There were two that we got to spend a little bit of time with. We met Reba and got to chat with her, and she's, you know, she's Reba McIntyre. She's one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Mm -hmm. The... Um, we took a picture with her, all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of them were not on set for very long, and they were all very busy at the time. So we didn't necessarily get to spend a ton of time with all of them. And then actually my family was seated with uh, the Trumps for meals, because he took his meals with the cast. Really? And so, which was not what most... I mean, a lot of them also didn't have a lot of time, so it's not a slide on them. But yeah, he actually did eat with all the, the rest of the cast. And most of us were like kids from nowhere. So hmm. it was... I didn't. I remember not really understanding what he was because you know he wasn't a movie star, and nobody could. I just remember being confused on that point. And I do have his autograph, and it, it literally looks like a barcode. It's just scribbled. <laughs> but uh, some things never yeah, change. So we we uh, ate with them, and he had he was married to Marlon Maples at the time, and I think Tiffany was a baby and was about the same age as my brother, who was a baby on set, and so uh, they. Marlo Maples and my mom, I think, talked about breastfeeding and baby stuff. And you know, uh, Donald Trump held my brother. So he was pretty. I, know I always tell him I can, uh, I can say that, and he'll have protesters outside his house <laughs> anytime. True. Um, he was a baby. He didn't ask for it. It was against his will. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, he would never approve. Well, that's interesting, though, because honestly, okay, so I've encountered Donald Trump twice here in New York. This was before he was even running. And... You know, as a lot as I've heard a lot of people say, he was very friendly, very you know, pleasant, fine. You know what I mean? Fine. He doesn't for everything that we see him say and do on television now. In person, he was pretty nice, pretty sociable. 
So I guess I'm not that surprised that he was nice to you guys. He probably just knew that he could leave soon. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, he was there. He did saying he was out. Um, yeah, and that was kind of. I remember asking my parents because I didn't remember as much of that. I was like, wait, we. I know that we sat with him. What was it like? It kind of got some of the details on that, and so it was kind of funny because I was like, did he? Uh, it wasn't like a rally or anything. <laughs> did he <laughs> give any speeches or? So after filming, everything wraps. Now you said you mentioned a brother. You have how? Mm-hmm. You have two siblings? No, just one. And he was a baby, so I guess he probably didn't. He couldn't have gotten jealous or you know envious or anything at the time. He was too young. Right. That's good. Right, right. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Well, actually, when we got older, he went on some auditions, and they wanted him to be. They were going to do a, a sequel to that Little Rascals, like pretty shortly thereafter, hmm. and they wanted him to be Porky, and he actually just wasn't interested in it it wasn't something that he really wanted to do like he'd gotten dragged around to all these auditions and i think we all thought that he did and once the opportunity was there he he didn't so they you know we we shot it down wow Um, and him and i did do a commercial together once it was a an oreos commercial where we played brothers in the commercial nice do you guys look alike yeah yeah oh yeah we look a lot alike he's only what four years younger than you three years younger yes nice yeah he's about three and a half years younger than me okay so let's talk about after the film wrapped and you went back to oklahoma and it's pretty remarkable that you were how was life what was life like after that did you was it a huge deal at school when the movie came out do you when it first came out i was still in preschool so it wasn't a big thing just because i was only in school part of the day right kind of thing and we would once we got back to Oklahoma, we would go back and forth to LA each year, like during pilot season or during the summer, and I would I would try out for parts and other things. And so it was generally known with our, you know, friends and neighbors what I was doing. And the school knew once I started kindergarten, first grade, that kind of stuff. They were really supportive. They would put together all the curriculum so that I, I'd be homeschooled while I was there. Mm-hmm. But it would be the curriculum they were using in the classroom back in Tulsa so that once I got back I could be fully, you know, caught up in, you know, move along with everyone because it'd, it'd be a chunk in the middle of the school year right so that was kind of awesome and i think when it first hit it was kind of a big thing because it you know it was pretty highly promoted it was it was sort of everywhere at first and we did have you know people coming to the house or people wanting to talk to us and i think that was when i was not thrilled and i hated signing autographs i remember once I saw what like a copier was, I remember asking my mom if we could just do one and make a bunch of copies to take with us to this radio yeah. um, show we were doing. Yeah, and she was like, "That is awful." She kind of was like explaining why it's you know important to give everybody you know their own attention sure. and you know be nice and they they're waiting in line and you know this is a big deal for them. So you wanted to so okay because like I was thinking I mentioned at the top of the show how what I found pretty remarkable about your story is that you were you went from being a little boy in Oklahoma made this big blockbuster movie that was you know a big it was big in the 90s and then went back to being living a fairly normal life you grew up you were became went to college got your master's in accounting and now are thriving being normal and successful in life there's no you know what I mean like when you hear about child actors you either you know there's the remarkable stories like um Marky Mark, I guess. Who? No. Come on. What? And then there's, you know, the not-so-happy endings. And so it's pretty, I think it's pretty interesting and cool that you were able to kind of go back to being normal, level-headed, well-adjusted, and successful. Did you did you spend time after the movie um, trying, you know, pursuing the acting career? My parents were, they were supportive. We've kind of talked about it a lot since. And they, you know, they thought as this was the activity I was doing. And, you know, you could do sports, you could do you know, a, a more local art like doing dance, or you could do this. And I really like doing it. And their thought was, well, I can, we'll just keep going as long as he wants to keep doing it. So when we would go back, that was kind of the goal. Now, they, their stipulation was that I could only do a movie if, you know, the movie start to finish was appropriate for my age group. So there were a few cases where it would have worked out to do another movie. But once we got the script and read through it, I think the decision was, you know, you wouldn't be able to watch all of this because, huh. you know, there's something inappropriate. You know, the, you know, you're six years old and this movie has nudity, so we're going to, you know, not do that. Huh. So, Can you think of any specific movies that you're talking about that you might have been in but weren't and perhaps they went on to be successful? 
Um, well, I know of some, but I, I won't share those. Really? I was thinking, like, um, maybe you were supposed to be Jonathan Lipnicki's part in Jerry Maguire. That's uh, one of them, isn't it? No, no, no comments on that. Oh, my God. Um, that would make sense. So, I totally just made that, pulled that out of the air. All right. Well, imagine, imagine, you know, a kid that age saying the F word. But no, the... Uh, Did he? Um, well, I think, think so. I don't even remember. I was probably... Yeah, it's been a long time. Okay, that makes perfect sense. You would have, that would have been right up your alley. So, okay, but my real question is, so now looking back on that, do you ever think, well, that mom, hello, that could have been me well, up there. Well, that's funny, too, because so they were starting to see what you kind of mentioned, that it can become unhealthier, it can become a, a problem later in life for some of these child actors that grow up in it, and that's one thing that makes it different from, say, you know, soccer being your activity. And right around when I was getting old enough that it was harder for them to sort of, I guess, separate all that because you know when we would go out my mom would be there my grandma would come to they'd kind of make sure that even if i was on set you know i still had to behave like i couldn't back talk i couldn't do those you know they mm-hmm. the normal things that you do with kids normally on a set you don't discipline them at all it's like you just give them whatever it needs they need to perform and then you know who cares what that does to their you know development and i mean whatever they need like candy praise not like, you know um, nothing illegal. And so, but that was never really how it worked. Like I always had to be respectful and the same things you'd expect of your kids in any other situation. But you know, that starts to be harder to do as you get older. And there's a point, I think I was nine years old. We were about to leave to go back to LA for six weeks. And I just kind of said, you know, I think I want to stay in school. I'm going to miss my friends. You know, last time we left, I felt like I missed, you know, birthday parties and, um, stuff at school. And there's, you know, stories people are telling and I don't, I wasn't there for any of them. And almost as soon as I said it, they said, okay, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you still have, and that's still what you think, then we're going to call the trip off and you can stay in school. There was no uh, pushback. There was no, you know, resistance on that front. They were very, you know, accepting of of that. And looking back, I've told them, I was like, I think you guys maybe should have just pushed a little bit harder. (laughs) Like you could have been stage parents a little bit. They might have been relieved. um, No, they were. And I mean, I understand why now? But I have jokes with them. I was like, you know, you, there's a, dip, you know, you, there's a happy medium between some of these crazy parents. But you know, they were excited to to hear that and to be able to, because it was hard on them. My dad always stayed in Tulsa. He owned his business at the time, and my mom would take us to L.A. And so they had to be apart during that time. And you know, it was a rough situation that they were doing. So they had sacrificed a lot by then too. So by the time I didn't want to do it, I think they were. They were thrilled to hear that. Did there, was there ever any talk or consideration of moving the whole family out to L.A.? Not that I'm aware of. I don't, I mean, I'm wondering if maybe they did talk about that at any point, you know, when I was really young. I don't remember that ever being an option. I guess I don't remember that ever, yeah. Never had any plans to do that. And it wasn't, I think more people live there now that are doing the child acting thing. It wasn't uncommon for people to fly in just for pilot season, do some auditions, and if, if something caught, they'd stay. Well, and the truth is, honestly, when people, if someone moves a whole family out to California today to pursue their six-year-old's acting career, you know, a lot of times it is just as much, if not more so, about the parents than the child. And it sounds like your parents were oh yes. were family-oriented, and they, you know, they were... They were very supportive. They took you back and forth, which is, you know, which is so great of them. But they also felt strongly that it was important to keep their roots and remain a normal family, which sounds totally reasonable. Yeah, looking back, I, I hope that I would make the same decision. Do you have any, but do you have any hint of regret just that you didn't, you weren't up there on that Oscar winner, Jerry Maguire? Or I'm just kidding, but any, like, you know, <laughs> any big. What could have been? Well, I mean, you know, you never know, because I, I guess you, know, you miss every shot you don't take. So you could say, since I didn't go back and really do any auditions after I was about 10 or 11, who knows what might have happened. But I, I know that in my case, I definitely went into something of an awkward phase starting at age 11, and I'm hoping that it ends sometime soon. <laughs> but there may not have been other parts, so you never know. It could have been, you know, constant rejection. It's good to learn rejection, but it might not be good to learn that much rejection <laughs> at a young age. So who knows what could have happened. It's interesting though, because um, one of my closest friends now is Bug Hall who played Alfalfa and he stayed. I mean, he's, 
his job that he's had his whole life is being an actor, and he's been very successful. And our stories are kind of the polar opposite of he stuck with it, and I kind of went fully out of it, you know, school, kind of, you know, that was the trajectory, complete different direction. And we've talked about, you know, our experiences and, and how they differ. And let's be honest, um, if it's, I mean, honestly, yeah, you're right. Like, Bug Hall, he's still in the industry. He's in um, the Harley, right? Yeah. That series. Oh, yeah. I mean, Did so, you watch it? Uh, I haven't, but I know, I heard, but I've read about it, and I saw him do an interview for it. But, I mean, like, even, you know, so, yeah, he's been successful. He's found roles and stuff, but it's never easy. I mean, you know, it's like it's always a struggle. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe you took the more, well, not maybe, you absolutely took the more steady route. But do you have, like, I know in 2014 you guys were all brought back together. You did a big photo shoot and kind of shot mm-hmm. some videos. Now, you said that you guys kind of fell out of touch after the movie. Was that the first time you had seen everybody in years? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I want to say there was some very minor reunion that a lot of us were at, maybe just a year or two after the movie, because we were still very young. It was very much a kid's thing. And then the members of the cast who were local in LA, they did a reunion sometime, I think in the 2010 mm. time range. I'm not really sure. It was just them kind of meeting up and they snapped a few photos. Just so but everyone, did, I think themselves, just so everyone's clear and can feel old. The reason you guys had that big reunion in 2014 is because that marked the 20, 20 year anniversary of when the film came out. Oh, yes. I think the film came out in, in August of 20 or excuse me, in August of 1994. So now we're just right at, 23 years almost, maybe a few days past. But it's hard to believe. Can you believe that it's 23 years ago? It's pretty crazy because I, you know, I like to think that I'm not that old. Right. But yeah, no, we all I do. could have done something 23 years ago. It's, it's pretty uh, shocking to hear. Cause I'm, yeah, that means I'm, I'm getting kind of old. So are all of you. Right, exactly. So how was, how was that reunion? I mean, was that reunion really like thrilling to see everybody again and i mean everyone looks great everyone looks it's funny it's really interesting to see how everyone's grown and changed yeah no it was incredible and it was funny because i think everybody was a little bit we were all excited about the idea of seeing each other i think we were a little bit hesitant about the the proposed plan for what we were going to do the way it had sort of worked out is that the uh, the people who put it on they contacted all of us through, I think, Facebook or Twitter, whoever they could find, and mentioned it. And I think, I don't know if it didn't, if the message didn't get to everybody or people saw it, but I was actually the first person to respond and just kind of see, well, is this legitimate? And then um, I texted Bug and we talked about it. And, you know, he kind of rallied the troops for everyone to do it. And we were all just excited to see each other. Because, yeah, I mean, we had not seen each other in person in years, except for the few people who are you know, local and had kept up with each other forever. So the company, 22 Vision, who did it, flies us all out. The idea was like, this will be great. We're going to go have a big dinner. We'll see each other. And then the next day we'll do the photo shoot and that'll be fine. Um, We get to the dinner and everyone's kind of showing up one at a time. And it was the craziest. It was like it was a family reunion. We had not seen each other in almost 20 years. And each person, you know, comes in and everyone's so excited to see them and we're catching up. And it's like we were all, you know, long lost family members. I did not expect it to be that personal, that much fun, just seeing everybody. Right. And so you and Bug are so close. Are you, have you, had you stayed in contact with anyone else? Buckwheat, perhaps? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I hadn't been in touch with them. A lot of us kind of added each other on social media. After that? as we found each other. No, before. But we hadn't kept in touch too much. Sure. It, you know, it was one of those things where if you haven't talked to anyone sure. in a long time and you were like four when you knew each other, it'd be like, I mean... not a lot to talk about. Right, well, and it'd be like, for people who didn't make a movie, imagine you, the, your classmates from when you were a toddler. Do you still talk to them that often? Probably not. Yeah, and you were in one class with them and never again. Right. Not like, you right. K through 12. Right. Uh, so, yeah, understandable. But, I mean, I don't know. People get this mindset that they were such close friends. They're a family. And, you know, yeah, for four months or whatever. But um, so tell us about what you've been up to now. So you, you are a senior accountant for American Airlines, and you're running that startup, a CPA firm that specializes. Now, what did that, was that, I guess I, seems pretty obvious. 
what gave you that idea to specialize in helping millennials with taxes? Could it be that they didn't know jack squat about taxes? Well, yeah, I I mean, they're not taught anything about that. Well, it's the thing, like everyone's got to do taxes every year, and yet you don't ever learn about it unless you take accounting classes for the most part. Some, t- some personal finance classes will touch on it, but those are not, not everyone has a personal finance class at any point in high school or college. And so there's all sorts of things, you know, tax credits available for going to college, student loans, um, you know, all sorts of things like that. And some of it you can capture through TurboTax and, and programs like TurboTax are getting pretty, pretty good at things like that. But for the most part, when I started asking around and people would kind of contact me for advice, knowing that I was a CPA, which is what made me think, okay, I'll start this startup was, you know, most people either had their, their parents CPA, who's like 90 at this point, or they just been, you know, using Google as their accountant. And a lot of times, there was, you know, things I could point out to them that would save them, you know, money on their taxes or make the process easier. And so that's where it was a good match. And some people, they just like having, you know, kind of like a partner through the tax process every year because it is sort of a crazy process if you've never done it. And the forms are pretty daunting if you don't, you know, look at them hundreds of times a year like I do. So some people, they're all perfectly smart enough to figure this out completely on their own. You know, is that the best use of their time? And you know, are they sure they won't maybe miss something? Or there's a lot of gray areas too. They'll miss especially something. Especially if they're entrepreneurs. They'll so. absolutely miss something. I actually, it's funny yeah. you mention that because I, even in college, um, now I majored in music, so obviously it wasn't. But honestly, I feel like the more obs- not obscure, but the more kind of non-business oriented your major, I feel like the more import they should put on taking a a finance and an accounting class because when you are doing something like um a private contractor or something like that it's you know it kind of makes your doing your taxes more complicated and therefore you might be well off to have a clue so yeah what's your i mean what's the name of the firm maybe people can look it up and become clients of yours well so i've it's been all word of mouth up to now, and so the name of the firm, so the legal name of an accounting firm has to just be the owner's name, so it really is just called Zach Mabry LLC. Oh, great. Our uh, branding name is going to be unveiled uh, later on this year, and so I'm excited for that, kind of our, our go-to-market name, but the legal name for an accounting firm has to always uh, have one of the accountant's names in it, I guess, so you know who to sue or something. Yeah, you know, they want us to have skin in the game, That's so it great. has to be owned by accountants. We can't have you know, shareholders. We have to take all the risk for providing this type of service to clients. Sure, sure, sure. So I just have two more questions. The, you mentioned a sequel to Little Rascals. There, they did make a Little Rascals animated TV series, and then there was a movie, a kind of a direct-to-video, um, The Little Rascals Save the Day in 2014, the year that you guys did that reunion. I think Bug might have yeah. made a cameo. He did. He was, So I hope none of them are listening. I've never watched that movie. It, it didn't quite interest me, but he did make a cameo in it. And Were you hurt that you weren't that. asked to make a cameo? No, I mean, I really didn't hear about it until I was looking on Netflix one day. So oh, really? I, I guess maybe by then I was like, that's weird. And I didn't know he was in it until he told me that that's... he went down and did that. And he kind of coached the, you know, the little alfalfa kid to, oh, sweet. to do that. And I think the kids were, apparently were really great. So, I mean, I haven't watched it. But, the, um, yeah, he, he did that. And he said it was kind of weird just seeing all the kids in their costumes and, and being on the set and all of that brought back. Because... You know, there's that nostalgia for us too. It's like everyone else who saw the movie and grew up watching it, they kind of have that nostalgia and they meet us and like, Oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. You I grew up with you. And but for us it's kind of similar, you know. Do you get you know, that a lot? Being on the set was crazy. Do people recognize Do you it? on the street nowadays? No, it's actually very rare for somebody to like look at me and figure it out. They don't necessarily kind of where have I seen you? That doesn't happen. But a lot of times people will hear about it or somebody will will sure. tell them. You know, if I go to a new job or someone will know or went to OU or something, and then they're, that's when they'll, you know, be excited. And like, I used to watch that, and they'll sing, you know, will you sing a song? <laughs> well, that, that's stuff. hilarious. I guess the last question is, so you have this successful business now. You've kind of really paved the way in accounting and building your life and whatnot, but you've had this experience, and I know you like to read, and your your tweets are very irreverent and funny. Do you Have you ever thought about maybe going, I don't know, maybe dipping your foot back in the industry in some way. Maybe not 
maybe not auditioning for stuff, but writing or directing or anything like that? Has that ever crossed your mind? You know, I've thought about it, and it's something that I definitely would be open to doing at some time. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, I'm just kind of really excited about what I'm doing at the moment. And so that was the case in high school and college and then starting out. I keep, I think at different points, I thought, well, maybe, you know, next year I'll look into it, or next year I'll look into it. And it was always, you know, there as an option. Um, it's, so it's something I'm definitely open to in the future. I think it's hard because when I think of something creative or funny, I just tweet it right then. Mm-hmm. So be a little different to have to you know, go through the whole process of writing, a you know, script. writing it all and doing But it would be fun. And I, I mean, it, it does take a lot of hard work to do that and a lot of skills. So I, I definitely don't assume that it's something that I could just do by any means. But it's definitely something from time to time I think about. And every so often I'll kind of get like a, just kind of a buzz about it and, you know, talk to a few people and, you know, see, you know, so if the time's ever right, if something ever pops up, I think I'm definitely open to whatever kind of future holds. Do you um, have any, like when you, when you were six and you were going out on auditions, you probably had some kind of representation. Do you have any, any context? Not necessarily that, you know, I don't know if you still have an agent, but do you have anyone from those days that you could reach out to if by chance you decided to maybe pursue something? You know, I don't know. I mean, I have people that that I keep in touch with who are still involved in that business, but I've never talked to them about business, and it, that would almost seem like a weird <laughs> direction to take yeah. the relationship. But you know, I think I think you know it depends. And a lot of times, if something is is meant to be, if it's what you're supposed to do, it'll happen. Those types of things will just line up, and you know, if it feels right, you'll you'll bring it up to someone. But a lot of times. You know, the people that I know who are still in that business never talk about it uh, out when they're not on set. So mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, it's not even necessarily something that, that we talk about all that much because, you know, I don't talk to them about what accounts I reconciled today. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the same. <laughs> you don't? You know, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about prepaid expenses. Well, right, they just love hearing it. I'm sure they would. <laughs> well, my, I have to just, I'll just tell you, my favorite tweet of yours probably of all time would have to be, I think, I think one day it was just randomly, shout out to Pop-Tarts. <laughs> that, that was, <laughs> I mean, really? Though. That was brilliant. Uh, who, I mean, come on, shout out. Pop-Tarts always deserves a shout out. Right. No, there's a whole back. There's actually probably not a backstory. I could tell you any number of backstories because I do eat a lot of pop tarts. But I, <laughs> I bet that day was the day that I found out that the vending machine that has pop tarts in the building accepts Apple Pay, and I couldn't find my wallet, but I had my phone. So okay. Well, I got I, my pop tart. That's probably what that came. From. Well, it should have been a shout out to Apple Pay and pop. Regardless, I think well, <laughs> I just love the randomness of it. So for anyone out there, um, you can follow him at Twitter. His handle is. Simply now, am I pronouncing your last name right, Mabry? Yes, I was listening to that because you had when we were communicating and yes. writing. You're like, "How do we say this?" Well, like, yes, Mabry. no, no, exactly. It right. never crossed my mind that I would be saying it wrong. But someone write like an hour before the show tonight. Someone was like, "No, I think it's Mabry," and I was like, "What?" So it's yes, Mabry. The spelling gives you no clues, so I totally understand. I used to get Mayberry a lot, which is totally impossible by the spelling, but it, that's a very common uh, thing. So. It would never bother me. But yeah, no, you, you did it perfect. I listened the very first time you said it tonight. You kind of paused. I, I, did a little bit. I did a little bit. I was like, you know, Zach, Mabry. But, you know, I got yeah. it. His Twitter handle is simply Zach Mabry, Z-A-C-M-A-B-R-Y. And we posted the Little Rascals reunion video on our Facebook page. So go to that and follow him on Twitter because it's funny. And who knows, perhaps tax season could roll around and you could reach out and be a client. Zach, sure. thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. This was fun. You probably have to work tomorrow, so we appreciate you staying up late. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll, uh, I'll be listening in the future as well. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So that was, we were talking to Zach Mabry. He played Porky in the 1994 film The Little Rascals. You're listening to The Next Best Thing, and by the way, this is important. Wouldn't it be amazing to see your community radio station represented at South by Southwest? Oh, my God, you better believe it would be. Well, you can help Radio Free Brooklyn make it happen by doing one simple thing. Vote. It's that easy. You just got to vote. Here's how to do it. Just head to, over to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash SXX. Excuse me? RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash SXSW. 
to cast your vote for our panel, Do-It-Yourself Radio and Local Music Communities. That's the panel. Votes will help choose the panels for South by Southwest 2018, and the more votes we get, the better chance we can take the RFB show on the road. Find out more information and cast your vote by going to www.radiofreebrooklyn.com slash SXSW. Make sure to tell your friends, too. Voting ends August 25th. That's in a mere few days from now, so get on it, people. Thanks for being a part of our Radio Free Brooklyn community. Now, before I forget, I do have to give a shout-out to my sister Abby. Tomorrow is her birthday, and I'd like to wish her happy birthday. She's in Kansas City, a great city. You're listening to The Nexus Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we will be right back. <laughs> 